This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. What we're going to do is review uh, just a little bit to start off. Of course, everyone remembers, I think, that uh, our theme has been missions this quarter, this Sunday school quarter. Very appropriate given our uh, the missions conference we just had. Uh, now, you all remember we spent two weeks looking at the topic of... Actually, before I get to that, I'm sorry, I'm going to just follow the slides here, which uh, helpfully appeared uh, on, the, on the screen. Uh, again, our topic is missions, and you saw there the first slide. Today, we're going to continue with a biblical theology of missions. Today is going to be part two of that lesson, which we started three or four weeks ago. And uh, quickly, like we did the last time, I'm just going to very quickly review lesson one, and you see the slide there, and I know the live stream folks, you can see that as well. Remember that we learned that the ultimate goal, now this is the ultimate goal of missions, it's not the preaching of the gospel, it's not the salvation of sinners, it's not the restoration of fellowship between God and humans, instead it is the glory of God. And uh, I love this quote here, missions exists because worship doesn't. The reason we go to the ends of the earth is so God will get all the glory he deserves when all the peoples that he made delight in and worship him. So again, that is the ultimate goal of missions. And now today, so that was, that was lesson one, which we looked at in two parts. And now we're continuing with lesson two, we, we kind of covered the first half of this lesson last time, and we're going to continue again today. And uh, these first few slides here, again, are also review. You've seen this before. And for those who had the little handout, which uh, and I know the folks uh, joining us via live stream probably did not get this, but some of the folks here on the floor, you might have received this one and... and at least one of you still has it. Um, you just did pass them all out again. Okay. Thank you. Well, we, we filled in the first few blanks last time, and, and here's another shot at them. The Bible views the whole world as God's possession. This is just, we're just establishing a biblical framework here, and actually biblical was the first blank there. The Bible views the whole world as God's possession. That's a, that's a good starting place in terms of our discussion, just to kind of set the proper frame of reference. And you see a few verses there that uh, support that assertion. Of course, Genesis 1.1, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Psalm 24.1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Psalm 50, verse 10, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. So as we're establishing our basic biblical framework, we need to understand first that the Bible clearly demonstrates, asserts, establishes that the whole world is God's possession. Second, uh, next slide, the Bible presents God as the only true and global deity, deity. Deuteronomy 4.39, Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is none else, no other God. Jeremiah 10, verse 10, the first part of that verse says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting King. Next, as we're establishing our, our basic biblical framework, God called his people out from among the nations to bless them and 
to demonstrate his glory, his glory. And that would be the next blank. And uh, just so you know, and before I forget to tell you, let me mention it now. As we proceed here, uh, again, this would pertain especially to those of you who are listening down here on the floor. I'm not going to necessarily, and don't tell Tavis long this, but um, our Sunday school director, but I'm not going to necessarily follow uh, the rest of this outline until we get to the end, uh, missionary implications. I'm going to give you those blanks, but uh, I kind of deviated from the script a little bit, both last time and then again today. We're going to kind of cover the, basically the same material, the same content in a different format, but if you would like those blanks, um, I will certainly give them to you. In fact, let me do that right now real quickly. If you're interested, folks watching via live stream, just pardon us for a minute. Um, let's see here. All right, so we're on to the second page. Uh, under D, Old Testament, the law. Okay, the law is the next blank. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, so forth. Number two, history is the blank. Number, th I'm sorry, just call it out, it's okay. Oh, you got them, you already have the answers, okay. Well, when we get to the end, we'll, we'll fill in those blanks. Okay, very good, thank you. Don't hesitate to yell out. And we've even got a microphone down there for, uh, we're going to have you guys participate a little bit and read here in a, in a minute. But uh, anyway, we're going to be covering the same basic material just in slightly different format. We're going to be looking at, again, this is part two of the lesson we started three or four weeks ago. We're looking at a biblical theology of missions. And we talked about last time, and we can advance the slide. We gave you a definition, you know, what is biblical theology? We might as well define that since, uh, the, again, the, the title of this lesson is a biblical theology of missions. Uh, in contrast to the term systematic theology, which many people are familiar with, in systematic theology, we'll just take everything that the Bible says uh, from all different parts of the Bible and we'll summarize it uh, nicely and neatly, and we'll just offer that summary of a certain doctrine or subject, whereas when we examine a doctrine or subject from the perspective of biblical theology, we instead just kind of go chronologically or progressively through Scripture. We start in Genesis, and we just kind of work our way. Uh, as God gave His revelation, as He gave the Scripture in time, again, maybe chronologically, maybe that helps, um, progressively, we'll just look at what uh, the Bible says in its different parts uh, how what God said early on builds, um, how, how he builds on that progressively all through Scripture. So, again, that's what, that's what biblical theology uh, is all about. And that's what we're doing in this lesson, although, again, we only have, you know, last time and this time. It's not a whole lot of time to go through the whole Bible and look at everything that the Bible says about missions. So, obviously, we are, we are doing a lot of summarizing. And one of the ways that I chose to kind of summarize the, the Bible's teaching on this, this matter of missions is last time we looked, and you can advance the slide, please. Uh, last time we looked at this question, and we answered this question. Has God always been concerned about the entire world? Okay. Uh, or... Because it seems like in the Old Testament, right, he was focused primarily on Israel, his chosen people. Okay. You remember that Jesus came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So has God always been concerned about the entire world? And if you advance the slide, again, we've seen all these slides last time, and I'm skipping a bunch now. We looked at a whole bunch of different Bible passages, most of them from the Old Testament, and the answer that we came up with was what? Yes. Okay, it's right there. Uh, 
God has always been concerned about the whole world, even in the Old Testament. Even in the Old Testament, salvation was made available to non-Jews, right? And we looked at some of those individual cases and examples of folks who were not part of the nation of Israel, who came to saving faith. And we saw how God worked in various ways to demonstrate his glory and make his name known among all peoples of the earth and not just to Israel. And uh, the challenge we ended with last time, we said, hey, if, if that's God's concern, if God is concerned with the whole world, then we need to be concerned about the whole world. And then just as a matter of thanksgiving and praise, we said, thank the Lord that he is. Um, you know, he chose Israel. Uh, his, uh, his chosen people, we'll be talking more about that in this lesson, but praise God, he extended his mercy and grace the offer of salvation to us Gentiles as well. Uh, praise God for that. Okay, so that's where we ended last time. God has always been concerned about the whole world, and as we go through the Bible, biblical theology, from Genesis to Revelation, we see that. But here's a question I, wanna, I want to propose today. Okay, this is our... This is our frame of reference uh, for today, kind of how we're going to break this down and how we're going to attack uh, this today. Let's, let's pose this question. Let's consider this. Has God's missionary methodology remained constant? Okay, we, we just said, we just established, you know, last time, last lesson, that God is concerned about the whole world. Okay, is everybody with me? We see that all through Scripture. But has God's missionary methodology, if you will, if we want to use that term, has it remained constant through Scripture? Or has it changed a little bit? What do you think? You don't necessarily have to answer out loud, but just think about that for a minute. Again, think about biblical theology. Think, of, think in terms of Genesis all the way through Revelation. What, what does missions look like for us today? What did it look like in the New Testament times? Was that the same? Is that the way it looked in the Old Testament? Or has it changed? What's it going to look like in the future during the tribulation? During the millennial kingdom? Okay. So has God's missionary methodology, methodology remained constant or has it changed? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Okay, And you can see there, I, uh, even though this is biblical theology, that's the angle from which we're approaching this subject, you can see from the slide that we're actually going to take the New Testament first. We're taking them out of order. Okay, New Testament first, then the Old Testament. I'm switching. And then we're, we'll continue chronologically. Um, just because we're familiar, we're very familiar with missions in the New Testament. So let's look at the next slide. We're going to start here. Then we'll go back to the Old Testament because we're very familiar with missions in the New Testament, right? Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Uh, very familiar passage. Jesus says, Go! Right? Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Okay? Uh, Acts 1.8, right before his ascension, Jesus says to his disciples and then to all of us by extension, Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, a little bit further out, and then unto the uttermost part of the earth. Again, the implication there is that Jesus' disciples needed to go to those places, right? If they're going to be in those places, they need to go there, and certainly to the uttermost part of the earth. And then when we consider Paul's missionary journeys, starting in Acts 13, and you can turn there quickly. Turn to Acts 13. Acts 13. 
Acts 13, church at Antioch. Now, starting in verse 1, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, and uh, you can see the names there, and Saul. And as they ministered, verse 2, to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them. You catch that at the end of verse 3? They sent them away. Verse 4, so they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed. Okay, and we have the beginning of you know, Paul's first missionary journey uh, along with Barnabas uh, that time around. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. And so we see that what did missions look like in the New Testament? If we want to sum it up, in, if you had to sum it up in one word. And of course, we kind of think of this today as we consider our, our um, you know, just had missions conference. And of course, we want to be sharing the gospel with our friends and neighbors right here in Chesapeake and Portsmouth. But even there, we have to What's the word I'm looking for? What's the single word that maybe sums up what we've seen here? Starts with a G. Go. Thank you. Very good. Go. We need to go. Whether we're going next door or whether we're going across the street or across town, whether we're going out on visitation, canvassing the neighborhoods, or whether we're going to a foreign country to be a missionary there, uh, we need to go. And that seems to be the emphasis in the New Testament. But what about the Old Testament? Is that what missions looked like in the Old Testament? Let's, uh, let's take a look here. And if you see the slide, we've got several verses. And this is where I was thinking maybe you guys could help me. So I don't have to be the one talking the whole time. Brother Corey, do you have that microphone back there? Would you mind turning that on, and can you read for us Exodus 19, 4 through 6? And uh, the microphone allows everybody watching via the live stream to hear you. I know that you're close enough to these folks down here. But let's turn to Exodus 19. And the context here... God has just brought the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, where they had lived as slaves for about 400 years. And, uh, and then he says this to them there at the, uh, in part, at the base of Mount Sinai. Uh, we're going to read Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6. Go ahead, brother. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then we shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation." These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Okay, thank you. So again, God speaking with Moses, and these words are to be communicated uh, and were communicated to the children of Israel. So Israel uh, was God's chosen people, his chosen nation, his elect nation, and they were to be a kingdom of priests, okay? Kingdom of priests, that word priests it, uh, it implies mediators, go-betweens, okay? So Israel was to serve as a go-between between God and the rest of the nations of the world. But here's the question that begs the question, how? How? Was Israel supposed to go and send out missionaries like we do today? Well, let's, let's see. 
And uh, that's not the only question we're trying to answer. And I'm, as we continue here, um, I'm not really trying to find or prove or assert this morning a definite answer to that question. And even amongst Bible scholars and Bible teachers and, and uh, pastors and different commentators, you'll see, you know, slightly different opinions on this matter as far as what missions look like in the Old Testament or given Israel's failure, we understand, you know, that Israel to a large degree failed to live up to its covenant obligations. What was it supposed to look like? What was mission supposed to look like in the Old Testament? Again, there's, there's slightly different views on this. And my, my goal this morning is not to try to, you know, push my view. Uh, rather, I just want to make some general uh, observations and uh, we'll see if we can learn some practical lessons from all this in the end. But uh, let's, uh, let's look at Exodus 7-5 real quick, just if you skip back a few verses. And we'll see there, again, looking at, uh, if you're looking at the slides, we see that God, He chose Israel to be His witness nation. We see in, throughout the Old Testament that God performed miracles on Israel's behalf. Okay, and again, the question is why? Why did God do that? Maybe there's a few reasons why he did that. But uh, let's, let's find at least one of them in Exodus 7.5. And maybe I'll read this. This is a, a short, quick one. I'm going to give you guys the long ones maybe. Exodus 7, 5. Okay, the context here is the plagues. This is so while the children of Israel were still uh, slaves in Egypt. Uh, verse 5 of chapter 7, And the Egyptians shall know. Okay, so this is uh, God speaking to Moses. Let me back up and read verse 4 for context. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto me that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. Verse 5, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. So we see here that God's purpose in bringing these plagues was not only to deliver Israel from Egypt, but also what? The beginning of verse 5, that the Egyptians would know that the Lord was God, that he is the Lord, that I am the Lord, uh, the scripture says there. And we see that if we were to look at Joshua 4, let's uh, skip, skip ahead to Joshua 4. Joshua chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. This is after, uh, so Joshua and the children of Israel. So Moses has died. He's passed the torch of leadership onto Joshua. They have crossed the Jordan River, okay, headed into the promised land. And uh, verse 19 through 24, And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal, in the east border of Jericho, and those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? You know, why have we placed these stones here? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over Jordan on dry land. God had parted, this miracle parted the Jordan River. Uh, verse 23, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until ye were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. And then look at verse 24 here, the purpose statement, okay, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty that ye might fear the Lord your God forever and ever. So why did God perform these miracles 
on Israel's behalf? Well, a few reasons. And uh, one of them we see there at the very end of verse 24, that Israel themselves might fear the Lord forever. But also the beginning of verse 24 tells us that God did it so that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord. So again, why did God perform these miracles on Israel's behalf? Several reasons, but one, it was a testimony and a witness to the nations, to the world. And we would see that, we won't turn there for sake of time, but we would see that again in Isaiah 37, 20. That's uh, the scene there is when Sennacherib, the wicked uh, Syrian king, is bringing his armies against Jerusalem and uh, King Hezekiah cries out to the Lord. And uh, we know that overnight uh, the angel of the Lord uh, kills 186,000 Assyrian warriors. And uh, if we were to look at that verse, we would see again, it's so that God's name would be made known to the peoples uh, of the earth. Okay, so we see God working miracles on Israel's behalf to make his name known among the nations. We also see that God exalted Israel before the nations. 1 Kings 10 verses 1 through 9. Let's turn there. 1 Kings 10. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 10. And we'll read verses 1 through 9. And who's going to get to read verses 1 through 9? Will it be my wife, Cindy? Is that okay? I asked everybody if they were okay reading, and I don't know if you were there. I gave everybody an opportunity to opt opt out. 1 Kings 10, verses 1 through 9. As she reads, listen, and again, we're trying to answer the question. We're trying to summarize and trying to figure out what, what did missions look like in the Old Testament? Was, was Israel sending missionaries out all over the place like we do today? Um, and again, we don't have any agenda here. We're just trying to make observations. And uh, go ahead, okay. Mrs. Radice. Right. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bear spices and very much gold, And precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king which he had, which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built, and the meat of his table, and the sitting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, and their apparel and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words until I came, and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, Happy are thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee, to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. Okay, thank you. And uh, I should have given Corey that long one. He got an easy one. But what, what do we see there? What do we see there? What's happening? What happened? The queen of Sheba came to Jerusalem, right? It's not that anybody from Jerusalem was sent to her. She came to Jerusalem because she saw what? Just generally speaking. All the wonderful things that God had done for Solomon and for Israel. How he was blessing. So God was blessing Israel. And the nations were attracted 
to this light. Right? Is that a fair summary of what we just read? God blessing is similar to the point we just made with the miracles. Okay, God was doing miracles on Israel's behalf, performing miracles, you know, parting the Red Sea, the Jordan River, and uh, attracting the, the world's attention to what he was doing through Israel. Same thing here. God exalted Israel before the nations, David and Solomon, and the majesty of their kingdoms, the, the, the splendor. Uh, it was a light, and people were attracted to it. Okay, uh, and that's the next point there. Final point on this slide. God planned to draw the nations to Israel's light. Let's read Isaiah 60 verse 3. Let's turn there quickly. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 3 says, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light. This is speaking about Jerusalem, about Zion, Jerusalem. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. The nations were to be drawn to God's blessing on Israel, on Jerusalem. Let's look at Ezekiel 5, 5. Ezekiel chapter 5. Ezekiel chapter 5 and verse 5. And uh, we're kind of plucking this verse out of the context in which God is, uh, as I recall, is is rebuking his people for their failure. But uh, look at verse 5. Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 5, Thus saith the Lord God, This is Jerusalem. I have set it in the midst of the nations and countries that are round about her. And uh, we read that single verse, and we see that God was intentional. He purposely placed Jerusalem in the middle of all the nations that were around it. And again, in the, the previous passage we just saw, God blessed his people, and he did that to attract the nations of the world to Israel's light. Of course, the light they had because God was blessing them. Okay? So, let's, uh, let's pause. We, uh, at the end of this slide on the Old Testament, and there's, there's so many other passages we, we could look at, What did missions look like in the Old Testament? Were there many Jonahs that were sent out? We did have a few, but you think of Jonah. He was sent out kind of as as a missionary, uh, if you will, a prophet, to go to Nineveh in Assyria, right? But were there many Jonahs? No, it wouldn't appear so. Um, instead, God was blessing his people, Israel. And uh, the peoples of the world saw, they saw that. They saw that God was God. They saw his power and blessing on Israel and were attracted. Uh, were attracted to that light. Now, of course, we understand, and we've got to hurry here for sake of time, but we understand that Israel, what? They largely failed Right, even after Solomon, um, and including Solomon, you know, we read that passage from First Kings ten. But if you read the rest of the book and the, the succeeding, you know, we understand that Israel largely failed to be the light that God had intended them to be. Um, but God's gonna, God's gonna redeem that purpose and ultimately fulfill His purpose for Israel in the millennium. Okay, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's uh, let's move on here. Uh, Next slide, please. Okay, we've already talked about the New Testament. We're familiar with what missions look like in the New Testament. We we use the word go to summarize it. What about during the tribulation time? We're not going to spend much time here at all for sake of time. Um, But uh, again, just just to think. And, And one of the, by the way, one of the reasons that I am 
presenting the material this way, again, not to push my interpretation of things, and I mentioned there's, you know, there's slight disagreement, not, not much, but a little disagreement amongst commentators on some of these matters as they interpret the Old Testament. But uh, really, my purpose, one of my purposes is, hopefully this is maybe piquing your interest just a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you're if you're like me. This stuff is is interesting. You know, if you comparing the New Testament to the Old Testament and asking some of these questions, um, you know, about differences that we see. You know how God worked with Israel, His chosen people, versus you know how He works in the present dispensation of grace. Uh, to me, this is fascinating, and there's all kind of books, and I actually meant to bring some down, and I forgot. They're in my office. But I meant to do a little bit of show and tell here this morning and hold up a couple books that, uh, that deal with these topics, that deal with uh, you know, the, the continuity and the discontinuity between Old Testament and New Testament, between the various dispensations that we see throughout biblical history. Uh, even some books specifically on what missions look, look like. I have a book called Mission in the Old Testament. And another book, uh, a couple books uh, that, de- that are basically a biblical theology of missions that trace this theme all through the Bible. And just fascinating and uh, wonderful stuff. We wish we had more, more hours in the day uh, to dig in and read um, that kind of material. But again, one of the reasons I'm presenting the, the material this way today is just maybe to, even if I'm not very interesting, hopefully the material, the, the topic is interesting and you might be encouraged, sparked to say, hey, I'd like to read a little more about this and figure out, you know, you know, New Testament seems like go and the, and the Old Testament seems like the people were supposed to come to Israel. What's going on there? And maybe you'll be encouraged to read further, and that would be a good thing. So anyway, um, missions during the tribulation. Again, we're just going to fly through this. Some, we we would guess, you know, they're going to notice that, uh, you know, a large chunk of the world's population is going to disappear when the rapture happens. And maybe this will cause some to, to think and repent and turn to the Lord. Of course, we had the 144 Jewish evangelists that uh, we see in Revelation 7. The two witnesses that we read about in Revelation chapter 11. We also have an angel uh, flying through the heavens declaring the everlasting gospel of our Lord. Um, But let's turn, let's look at missions during the millennium. Let's look at missions during the millennial kingdom. So after the tribulation, after those seven years of tribulation, the Lord Jesus Christ will return to earth In Revelation 19, we read about that. He will defeat his enemies at the Battle of Armageddon, and he will establish his millennial reign upon the earth for a thousand years. The Lord Jesus Christ will reign as king from Jerusalem. And we know, we all understand, that there will be unbelievers in the millennium, right? Does everybody remember that? Um, Of course, we'll be there. If you're a child of God today, if you have repented of your sin and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be there. Uh, We'll be there, but we'll be there in our glorified bodies. There will be those, by contrast, who will be saved during the tribulation and will not be martyred. Uh, Some will be martyred. Some of those, many who, who get saved during the tribulation will be martyred for their faith But others will pass through, will survive the tribulation, and will enter the millennial kingdom in their natural bodies. Those folks will have children, and uh, their children will have children. And, of course, the millennium, as we know, will be a time of great blessing and fruitfulness, uh, freedom from disease and sickness and even death to, uh, to a large degree. And so there'll be lots and lots and lots of babies born and at the end of the thousand years, um, well, again, you'll read about at the end of Revelation 20, you see what happens there with that final rebellion. But anyway, what's the point I'm trying to make? My point is that there'll be lots of unsaved people. At the beginning of the millennium, it will be only believers, right? 
But as the millennium progresses, there will be children born and then children and more children, and there will be unbelievers who will need to make a decision whether they will serve and worship the king, King Jesus, who will reign from Jerusalem, uh, or not. Okay? So since there will be unbelievers during the millennium, what will missions look like during this time? Well, we've already read Isaiah 60, verse 3. I'm going to read that again. Isaiah 60, verse 3 here. Let me get back there. We've already read this. We read this verse, this Old Testament verse, and this actually... This is one of those verses that, uh, you know, it was to describe Israel's mission in the Old Testament. Israel largely failed, as we understand. But this verse also, and it's, it's clear from the context, this verse also points forward to the millennium and what's going to happen there. And so I'll read again. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, to Jerusalem's light, Zion's light. And kings to the brightness of thy rising. Okay? In its context, as you read this passage, this is clearly pointing forward to the millennial reign of Christ. Israel will serve then. They will complete their mission, if you will. They failed in the Old Testament. God's, uh, he, he's redeeming them. He's, they're going to get another chance. And this time, by God's grace, they're going to succeed in their mission to be a light to the nations during the millennium. Let's uh, look at that uh, same theme in a little bit more detail here. Uh, next point, the nations will perceive God's blessing on Israel. Let's read Zechariah uh, 8, 20 through 23. Zechariah, towards the end of your Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 8. Uh-oh, we're running low on time here. I was going to pick on a couple more of you. Everybody has their heads down. I was going to pick on a couple more of you, but maybe for sake of time. I'll read this one. Let's read Zechariah 8, 20 through 23. This also speaks of the millennial kingdom. Clearly, this is a prophecy looking ahead to that thousand-year period. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, It shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities, and the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Notice what's happening here. Where are they, where are they going? Where are these people headed? They're heading to Jerusalem. They're planning to go to Jerusalem. Uh, so at the end of verse, that was 21, verse 22. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Verse 23. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Interesting. Uh, the nations, people among the nations during the millennial kingdom, they're going to be grabbing the, the, uh, the cloak of a Jewish man saying, Hey, we want to go with you back to, the, back to Jerusalem to see the king, okay? So folks will be drawn to Jerusalem. This was what was supposed to happen in the, in the Old Testament. Let's look at uh, final passage, Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. Who wants to read this one for us? We'll have one, one more volunteer this morning. Anybody? Donna, okay. Isaiah chapter 2. Let me get there. Can you read for us, Mrs. Barry, verses 2 and 3? Yes. This also 
This also clearly prophecy pointing forward to the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, that thousand-year period in the future after the tribulation. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many nations, many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. Okay, hold on. I'm so sorry. I oh, think you read three I, and four. Oh, yes, I did. Sorry. That's all right. Let me back up to two. I wanted sorry. you to read two and two. three. Yes, That's sir. okay. Maybe just read verse two. We've yes, already sir. read verse three. Yes. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. Okay. And of course, then she read verse three. We're going to see people from all over the world, the nations. They're going to be drawn to Jerusalem, drawn to its light. Of course, that light uh, is there because the king is there. The Lord Jesus is there. But they will be drawn to Zion in Jerusalem. And, of course, this is what was supposed to happen during the Old Testament. But it didn't happen as it should have. It started to a little bit. We saw it with uh, you know, the Queen of Sheba there and King Solomon. And of course, all the miracles that God did on Israel's behalf, that the nations were, you know, their attention, you know, they did see what God was doing, but then large, God, Israel largely failed in their, in their mission. But God will redeem all of that. And in the end, his purposes for Israel will be perfectly fulfilled. They will serve as his light to the Gentiles, and the nations of the world during the millennium will be drawn to salvation, uh, from which will emanate forth from Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we got two minutes. Uh, what what did we learn, and and why? What's the significance? Well, we need to wrap up quick, and I apologize. I wish we had up. Oh, we have these blanks. These are your last few blanks for your, your handout. You can go ahead and fill those in real quick. Um, those of you who have the handout. And then I just want to make a final point. Let me ask this question as you're filling in those, those blanks. What are we to do today? What's our missionary mandate? Is it are we to follow the New Testament pattern or the Old Testament pattern? Now, maybe this is a trick question. And again, I'm not trying to, my, I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm just, this is interesting to think about. Uh, but be careful how you answer. Which of those two patterns are we to follow today? Both. I would say both. We are to go, right? We are to go. But we are also to, you ready for this? I thought this was kind of, um, what's the word? Creative on my part. You ready? We're not only to go, but we are to glow. G-L-O-W. Okay, we are to radiate God's, you know, the fact that he's blessing us as Christians. Um, we have his joy and peace in our hearts. We have his blessing on our lives because we're saved, right? And so just like Israel was supposed to glow in the Old Testament, they did for a little bit, then it then their you know, kind of their light dimmed. But of course, we'll see in the uh, in the millennium, they will glow Jerusalem uh, God's people will glow. They will finally be the witness nation that God intended for them to be uh, to the rest of the world, those who are unsaved um, during the millennium. But just as they were to glow and will glow during the millennium, that's true of us today, right? We're not just supposed to go. We're also to shine forth the light of Jesus, the light that he's put in our hearts and I'd say that's not only supposed to be true of us as individuals, but also as a church, right? As a church body here, Good News Baptist Church, we're not only supposed to go, 
But as a corporate body, we're supposed to glow, right? When folks come in, you know, they should be attracted. You know, they should, they should see and hear about God's blessing on our church and what he's doing among his people here. And when visitors come, there should be a light here and a life that's attracting to them, right? So we're not just supposed to go. We're also supposed to, to glow or shine for Jesus. And let's... Um, Let's pray now and let's ask God to help us. Let that be true of our church body and also of us as uh, individuals. Dear Lord, we are so thankful for your word and what it teaches us. And uh, Father, we can be uh, so selfish at times. But Lord, we, we need to remember that you care about the world. You care about people. And Lord, help us. Let us have a burden, Lord, for others. And so we, we pray, Lord, that you'd work that in our hearts. Give us your grace to love and be compassionate and desire to reach people with the gospel. And we pray, Lord, that you'd give us your grace to go to all the world and, and preach the gospel. And we also pray, Lord, that you would give us your grace to shine for you. Lord, that others would see your joy and your peace in our hearts and even as our church, in our church, Lord, help us to be a light and a testimony for you each and every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.